you guys want to know a secret? I want to tell them. I want to tell them. Okay, you tell them. We're going back out on tour! It's not really a tour. Here's the deal. We're going to be performing in Dallas at Obsess Fest for, I don't know, a couple thousand down bitches. And we need to work out our act. So we're going to head out and do a couple shows. That's right. We will be in Philadelphia on Tuesday, October 3rd and New York City on Tuesday, October 10th. So come and see us. It is an all new show we are writing, especially for Obsessed Fest. So if you are in the area and want some extra Ellen Joey time or you're not able to make it to Obsessed Fest this year, come and preview our show. Tickets are available at ithinknotpod.com. What can they find at our live shows, Joey, if they've never been to one before? Basically buffoonery. Buffoonery and singing. And lots of hugs. And dancing. And maybe butt stuff. Okay. There will be no butt stuff at our live show, but please come and see us. We cannot wait to see all of your smiling faces. Really, our live shows are where we have a blast, and we'd love to see you there. Philadelphia, October 3rd. New York, October 10th. Go get those tickets! Woohoo! So you're wearing a lovely blouse today. I am. <laughs> Joey goes, do you like my blouse? I was like, the higher your voice goes, I was like, I did not say blouse, but it does look like a blouse. I, it's this cut. It's yeah. a lady, my lovely lady cut. Yeah. It's not my most favorite thing you've worn. Just a quick question. How long have you been homophobic now? <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to I Think Not, where a homophobe and a gay man sit and talk about true crime. What a podcast. What a podcast. Oh, God. I am, of course, kidding. Joey is not straight. I mean, Joey is not gay. He's straight. He's coming out, you guys. He's coming out as straight. Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where Joey Taranto and me, Ellen Marsh, recap all of your favorite true crime TV shows. Every month we bring you a new series. And then we talk about it. And then we laugh about it. And then we cry and hold each other a little bit. How are you, Joey? Well, Yellen Marsh, I am blessed. It's a beautiful day in New York. And I'm not going to lie. This episode today, I'm mad. Yeah. I'm, I'm really angry. I'm angry for a lot of reasons. I'm angry for women. Yeah. I'm angry for you because, it, you know, I'm already very protective of you. And yeah. this episode makes me feel like you can't leave the house. Right. Now, did we mention this is a comedy podcast? <laughs> did we say that at the top? And if you would like more comedy stuff, like... Joey getting mad at the world and fighting for the rights of women. Please join us on the Patreon. We have so much true crime. You can rage. You can yell. You can scream. You can cry. You can laugh till you cry. You can cry till you laugh. It is all there in all shapes and sizes. Ready for you for as little as $5 a month. You too can rage cry or cry rage. Just go to patreon.com slash I think not and you will open up a cave of wonders. It's true. Is that new merch you think? Rage cry? Yeah. Rage cry. Move out of my way. I'm about to rage cry. Yeah. How are you? Good. Just had a rage cry. (laughs) The back catalogs, of course, have all of our episodes of Disappeared. Of course, that fabulous TV show with our best friend Christopher, who we have not heard from in a while. Not to mention Southern Fried Homicide. I almost got away with it. Pink Collar Crimes. Fry Thy Neighbor. Fry Thy Neighbor. All kinds of stuff. I actually don't know how many episodes we have on the Patreon. What do you think? 200? About a kajillion. Yeah, a kajillion. So go on over 
there and find a tier that works for you. We'd love to hang out with you a little bit. Anything before we get to the episode, Joseph? Just I love you. I love okay. you. <laughs> I do like that color. That color blouse looks great on you, but it does look like you borrowed it from your Aunt Debbie. That's fine. Okay. Season one, episode two of I Dated a Psycho. He was attracted. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to know more about him. That connection, I definitely felt it that first time I kissed him. He was a hardworking man. He looked like he had no problems whatsoever. It felt like he could really be a person that I could spend the rest of my life with. But first impressions can be misleading. She didn't see him the way that I was starting to see him. Dangerous. I never thought that that he would have gone that far. I dated a nice guy. Dated a romance heart draw. Hot doctor, bad boy, Charm. cheater, Corporate. jerk. I dated a psycho. Well, we're in our own backyards today. We are in New York City. You know, New York City is amazing. It, it really is. There's so much to see, so much to do. But you know what? I'm going to let Tina Fey in 30 Rock explain New York City. Come on. This is the capital of the world. The culture, the diversity. Oh! Oh! You all right? He's spit in my mouth. New York City can be a dump. Yeah. But it's I mean, our dump. They say that people come to New York looking for a better life. I'm confused if that better life is high rents, rats, <laughs> dirty streets, awful traffic, avocado toast that costs $22. Every time we visit a new city together, we're like, have we been bamboozled? Yes. What are we doing? It the is, quality it, of life. Every time I see someone, like beautiful people from like Argentina, I'm like, why are you here? Yeah. Your country's so beautiful. New York is a pit. Also, come visit us. <laughs> For generations, millions have come to New York City hoping to build a better life. Evamir de Klerk is one of them. Growing up in California, Puerto Rico, and the Dominican Republic, she finally settles in the Bronx. Well, people do come here from all over the world seeking out new opportunities, carving out their own communities, and Evamir Duclerc, she's no different. She came from California, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. She's lived everywhere, but now she has settled where my mom came after she came over on the boat. The Bronx. That's right. Her and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's the only place you can get the best cannoli. Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. That's it. That's it. There's no place else to get a cannoli other than Arthur Avenue. Are you going to shoot daggers through your eyes if I tell you I don't really enjoy cannolis? Yes, because you haven't had a good one. Maybe. I love an eclair. Yeah, I love eclairs too. Why don't you like cannolis? I don't know. It's just too much. What don't you like about a cannoli? It's too much filling. What what, what don't you like about it? The filling is too much. It's gorgeous. If it's not too sugary and it's made right, it's gorgeous. All right. You haven't had a good cannoli. All right. Well, I'll I'll leave that to you. I'm going to go to Arthur Avenue, get you a cannoli right now. Forget this recording. (laughs) In 2009, she's earning her bachelor's degree, living on her own for the first time and working at a pharmacy to pay the bills. She's only missing one thing. I was looking for a relationship, a man who can give me a family, someone who I can be with. Evamir is living on her own for the first time, and she is working at a pharmacy. And let me tell y'all, she's got dreams and she's got goals. She is a focused young woman. Yeah, and she also wanted to find some love. She was at that age where she wanted to start a family. Best friend dynasty, also down bitch. 
says just what a sweet woman Evamir is. And it's February, and she stops at, well, you can tell this was not written by a New Yorker, because it says she stopped at the deli. She did not. She did not stop at a deli. She She stopped stopped at at a a bodega. bodega. Thank you. That's true. Yeah. No one ever in New York would call a corner deli a deli. I mean... Yeah, bodega just sounds a little more atmospheric. But it's not, because a bodega is everything, right? You need a sandwich. Do you need deli? There's deli. You need a soda? Right. There's soda. You need some SOS scrub pads. You need some cat food. You it's need a there. Tampon. You need a tampon. You need a scratcher. You need a phone card. You need some condoms. You need some cigarettes. You used to be able to buy one cigarette. Yeah, you Lucy's. You a single cigarette. Lucy's, yeah. But yeah, whoever wrote this script is not, not a New Yorker. New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, it's not from New York. Also, the thing I want to say is, is that they show us their idea of what a bodega in New York looks like. It is a full-on diner. Yeah. It is a huge <laughs> restaurant. I was like, what I wouldn't give to have a bodega that large and spacious. Oh, I love no, it. No, you walk in, it's like hoarders buried alive, and yep. there is one single cat that will scratch you if you get too close to it. Do you it. know why the cat's there? For the mice. Keep away the mice. Bodega right. cats, honey. Mm-hmm. Do not fuck with the bodega cat. Don't pet it. Don't even look at it. Yeah, don't stare at it too long. No, because <laughs> no. it will eat your soul. It's true. It's like Marjorie Taylor Greene. You look at her too long, <laughs> you die. On her way home from work one February night, Evamir stops at the deli across from her apartment and says hello to Ramon LaLondres Castillo. I used to have a roommate who actually was telling me, he keeps asking me to introduce you guys. The guy from the corner store, I'm like, at first I didn't pay no mind to her, but then I actually saw him one day. So... Evamir stops at the bodega, which is across the street from her apartment, and she says hello to a man named Ramon LaLandries Castillo. Now, Evamir has a roommate, and the roommate told Evamir, you know, the guy who works at the bodega, he keeps asking me to introduce you to. And so Ramon had a crush on Evamir for a while. I cannot even tell you how many times I have been hit on by a bodega guy. Yeah. Same for you, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, she was like, hey, girl, I got a guy you need to meet. He is six feet. Not that smart, a little rude, kind of toxic, really demanding, bad temper. And then they're like, did you say six feet? (laughs) Like like six, maybe like six one or like Like, more like on like the 5'11 side. Like six foot. Like six foot. Okay. And he's also from the DR. He is. And he's 24. He is a handsome man. Big guy. Big big muscular guy. Really broad. Very broad. Has to turn sideways to walk through a door. (laughs) And here's the thing. Ramon had also moved to New York City to find success. He wanted to make something of himself. And he and his brother owned the bodega that she was at. I would imagine bodegas, you can make a pretty penny. Oh, yeah. Because the influx. Yeah. When I lived off 10th Avenue, I kind of watched the bodega family grow up Mm -hmm. that I went to because you go to the same bodega all the time. And I lived there for so long. It was like the kid who was 12 who worked and then he was like 16 and then he was 20. I felt like I watched their whole family grow up. It's true. Ramon impresses Evamir, but she's cautious. On our first date, I invited a couple of friends because I was scared of going alone. And he brought his cousin We had a good time that night. So they call her Evie, and Evie accepted his invitation, but she was cautiously optimistic. So on that first date, she kind of made it like a group affair. She brought friends along because she didn't want to go on a date alone. Does that sound like someone you know? Yeah, remember when you were like, I'm on a date, you guys want to come, and 45 (laughs) gay men showed up. 
Literally, the cast of The Normal Heart showed up. It's so true. The cast of La Caja Fall was there. Oh, God. This poor man. I mean, we had a blast. Yeah. But that poor guy, that was not nice of me. The cast of... Queer as folk, queer eye for the straight guy. They all showed up. Will and Grace, oh, yeah. everyone showed up. Sean Hayes was like, hey, girl. <laughs> but anyway, she didn't want to be by herself. Neither did I. And he brought his cousin. So they made it kind of a group affair. And she's intrigued by Ramon. He was, like, attentive, asking a lot of questions, making sure she was taken care of. And he also did the thing that you should do. He made an attempt to become friends with her friends. He yep. was very nice. Even Dynasty, best friend Dynasty, is like, he got to know me. Like, mm-hmm. he seems like a really nice guy. And then she says the kiss of death, though. She said it was everything you could ask for. Just say you light up a room. Why not? It's, it, it, yeah, kiss of death. So they start dating. Yeah, and they all like to go out together. They'd go to clubs. And then Dr. Romani is here. She comments on all of I Dated a Psycho episodes. I like her a lot. Me too. She says this. What better way to know you're in sync with someone than to dance with them? And it's a real sort of test of the chemistry. There's a lot of physical closeness. That sort of hypersexualized and kind of dreamy. It really builds on that fantasy of a new relationship that if you can dance like this on a dance floor, what else can you do? I have thoughts. Oh. I've always said if someone can dance, they're a good lover because that means that they have rhythm. Rhythm is important. If someone is out on the dance floor doing the cabbage patch, doing a two-step on the one and the three, doing the cabbage patch, they are not going to find your clitoris. Absolutely, It may as well be in Egypt. The white man's overbite. (laughs) (laughs) Or like they keep their feet still and they just like move their arms, like wave your arms, wave your hands in the air. Like you don't care. I care. I care that you're dancing on the one and a half and the three and a quarter. The sprinkler, they're a virgin. Absolutely. (laughs) No, it really is true. You can tell a lot by the way someone dances. Yeah. Since Ramon works across the street from Evamir's apartment, he spends more and more time at her place. His excuse was, I have to open tomorrow morning, so it's better I sleep over. So little by little, he moved in without me even noticing. Everything seemed to be moving in the right direction. So in that case, she probably just sort of let it go and figured it would work its way out. So months pass, and they're enjoying each other's company, and they decide to take things to the next level. They become intimate, and things were really good. Now, did we say that his bodega is right across the street from her apartment? So he kind of was like, I have work early in the morning. Can I just crash here? And, you know, listen, when things are natural and easy and you're young and you kind of start playing house a little bit, like, that's kind of fun. Yeah, totally. And she was like, I mean, the man moved in basically without me noticing. Yeah. It happens. I've seen it happen with friends. I've been in that same position. And here's the thing. If you didn't want to be alone, people say that Los Angeles can be very isolating New York can also be very isolating. Mm -hmm. So when you find your people, she was having a great time. She found her friends. She had this great boyfriend. It was a great feeling for her. She was really leaning into it. Yeah. And he was very protective. You know, do you want me to pick you up from work? Did you eat today? Everybody likes being taken care of. Whether you're a man or a woman, that is a love language. Absolutely. It is a form of affection. And after a while, he started asking her not to go out anymore and started sort of showing signs of possessiveness. There is a thin line between protective and possessive. Yeah. It was very easy to step over that line. I'm going to say something a little controversial. We already know you didn't like the Barbie movie, Joey. (laughs) So here's the thing. 
I think that all of us deserve to have someone be obsessed with us and that you get to be obsessed with them. I think a little bit, a little bit of possessiveness is okay. Not when somebody's like, hey, remember how we used to all go out together and then I said, I don't want you to go out without me and now I'm telling you I don't want you to go out at all. That is a form of control. That I don't love. Yeah, give me an example because I believe the difference between possessive and protective is intention. Sure. So tell me what you mean. Give me an example. What I mean is like, we don't own people, right? When you're in a relationship, you don't own them. But I do think that a sense of, This is someone that I care about. This is someone I'm in a relationship with. I am going to protect them. And I don't like when people are like, you know that weird thing? Has it ever happened? Maybe you were in a relationship. It's happened to me as a gay man where someone's like, yo, why are you talking to my girl? And I had to be like, are you joking? Mm -hmm. Did you not see this blouse I'm wearing right Right. now and this feather earring that's crawling out my ear? I am a homosexual. Not that, but also just a sort of like, we are a team. And when you're out in the world, you're sort of like, we are together. It's like a little bit of, Not this is mine, but a little bit of this is mine. Yeah. I don't think I'm explaining this No, I don't think you are either because you want the person that you love to be safe and be taken care of. But possessiveness comes from an act of control. Yeah. It stems from insecurity that you might lose that person. Protectiveness comes from a genuine care and concern for the person's well-being. So maybe possessiveness. Yeah, I think you mean just a little bit of protection and respecting boundaries. Because you know me, I'm not a possessive person. No, but you are very good with boundaries. Yes, I set a lot of boundaries. You set a lot of boundaries. So I think maybe you're kind of like convoluting the two because I believe the root of possessiveness is insecurity. Yeah. If, If I'm not in control of you, I could lose you. Well, let me tell you something. If you are feeling insecure in a relationship, like if I feel insecure, that is not a relationship. It is part of your job to be a good partner, to reassure your partner. I mean, granted, some things are like the calls are coming from in the house. Call your therapist about that. I can't help you. You shouldn't be walking around wondering, is my partner going to leave me? You you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a different story. Yeah, I do understand what you're saying. Ramon in this instance was was like, where are you? No, you can't go out. No, I don't like that. You don't need time with your friends. So it's a fine line between being cute and like, oh, he loves me and controlling because he was keeping tabs on her. Yeah. Evie's coworker Demetrius is here and he says that Ramon would just show up at the pharmacy and not leave. Yeah. Do not come to my job. No. I, you, you need that separation. I don't come to your job and slap the dick out of your mouth. Don't slap the dick out of mine. Exactly. And like one night she was in bed and she turned over and found him trying to guess the password. And I mean, I have successfully guessed someone's password because men are stupid. <laughs> I'm just like, rename your cat, bro. <laughs> don't change your password. Just rename your cat. Like your password has to have a character, the horn of a unicorn, the blood of a Norwal and a lock of your mother's hair. Tighten that shit up. Truly. Do not be lazy about your passwords. Yeah. Here's my thing. Do not go through my phone. If you go through my phone, we are going to have a major problem. Also, why are you feeling the need to go through someone's phone? What are you looking for? You know the two-step authentication? Yes. No, I have a 17 one. (laughs) I'm sure. When I die, there is somebody in another country, you don't even know who it is, assigned to fly to my home, take my phone, and drop it in the center of the Atlantic. No one's going through that shit. Absolutely not. Who is this person? I'm not telling you. (laughs) Or I'd have to kill you. And I like you too much. (laughs) Yeah. Also, the other thing is, is going through someone's phone, if you're looking for something, 
You can concoct a narrative. Absolutely. What was this excuse? He's like, oh, yeah, baby, I uh, woke up and I wanted to DoorDash you something. And uh, I, I, I lost my DoorDash password, so I wanted to use yours. No good is coming from going through someone's phone. No. I mean, they got into a full-on argument and she said, I have never given you a reason to not trust me. And this right here huge turn off. So don't ever do that again. And he did apologize. And she's just thinking, all right, he's a good guy. He's just got some trust issues. I mean, let me tell you right now, in case I haven't, it is a fucking cycle because you have the breakdown of the communication and the questioning of the trust and frustrations arrive. Then there's an incident, whatever that might be, whether it's like physical or emotional or verbal. And then the third part cycle ends in like, you know, the reconciliation, the I'm sorry. And then, you know, sometimes they like subtly blame the victim maybe a little bit. And then we start back over. And it is a cycle that is way, way too familiar to way too many people. Agreed. And you know what makes me so mad? You know what I hate? (sighs) Makeup sex is just the best. I do not subscribe to that. Nor may. No, thank you. Yeah. In August 2009, Evamir makes plans to celebrate her 21st birthday with a girls-only trip to Miami. He actually mentioned he wanted to go. You're the birthday girl, you should be with your boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. I told him, you're going to be the only guy. So now it's Evie's 21st birthday, and she's planning a girls' trip to Miami. But Ramon says, I want to go. You're my girlfriend, it's your birthday, I should be there. And she's like... I'm going with my friend. You're going to be the only guy there. And eventually, she gave in. Yeah, I do love what the therapist says. She says, Men are definitely targeted at the one-on-one social relationship, by and large, where women, for reasons both biological and psychological, they really tend to be a bit more tribal and really value the whole larger social network. And that can often be a real disconnection point for new relationships where the man wants more of the woman and the woman is still trying to maintain her big network of friends and family. There's power in the pack, they say, right? Women need women. We need that time. Also, the shared experiences that women have that are so singular. It really is. It's not like everyone else was bringing their partners too. Being the only dude there, women need women time. It is very, very special and sacred. Like, we joke like, girls night, but it's for real. Like, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting how fragile this man came so quickly, or maybe he was just really good at masking it, but like, I like to have a boys night. You know what I mean? Also, gay boys night is very different than straight boys night. You know, we're sure. sitting around talking about, you know, the nuances of Madonna's face. Right. <laughs> Whereas I I don't know what happens in straight men's boys nights. I don't know. They guess they just measure their muscles and then their dicks. I have no idea. <laughs> so she's on the girls trip with Ramon three days in and they're out and he's like, let's go back upstairs. I want to spend time with you. And she's like, You came on girls' night. We are out. We are having a good time. Go hang out in the hotel by yourself then. Exactly. Let me have my buttery nipples and my fuzzy navels. Who came up with those names? I have no idea. Have you ever had either of those? Yeah, I've had a buttery nipple. They're actually delicious. What do they taste like? Uh, Butterscotch. Oh, I yeah. like butterscotch. Same, yeah. It's kind of like a Meemaw thing. Yeah. Anyway, listen, they're all fueled up, right? They're all drunk. It's the 21st birthday. Do you all remember your 21st birthday? Come on. Yeah. So then out of nowhere, Ramon is yelling at her saying, let's go. And they're having a fight. Evie is more 
ticked. They're like out at the club fighting, screaming at each other. I had my very first boyfriend. He loved to argue in public and I would walk away every single time and he would just get angrier. We are not going to fight in public. It's so embarrassing. It is mortifying because now you are subjecting all these innocent bystanders to your nonsense. Also, it's so disrespectful and you're making her look like trash in front of her friends. And so Ramon leaves. He ends up going back to the hotel and she's like, good, go. I'm going to stay here with my girls. And she does. Evermer's plan was to be with her girlfriends, to go out and have fun. They were supposed to be celebrating Evermer. So for her, this is about hurt. This is about disrespect, public humiliation. None of those are good things. When I got back to the room, Ramon was up. He was waiting for me. As soon as I opened that door, he started screaming. So then when she comes home, he loses it. He's furious. He's screaming. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go stay in, you know, Dynasty's room. And she tries to leave and he physically grabs her. And then down bitches who are already kind of on high alert, they get their down bitch honing signal. And it's Evie screaming from the other room. That's right. And then they somehow get into that hotel room. They don't tell us how, but... Ramon is beating her. He is in a drunken, blind rage. She's screaming. They are, like, trying to pull him off of her. They're trying to reason with her. And eventually they call 911, and Ramon is arrested for domestic violence. Now, did you see that mugshot? He had some scratches on that face. Yeah, trying to defend herself. I'm surprised that he wasn't missing hair. If I saw someone in a blind rage doing something like that to you, I am now going to go into a blind rage. And neither of us are going to jail. One of us is going to the boneyards. (laughs) And I promise you it will not be me. I love it when you say that. Here's a man that says he loves me. He want to be with me. You're the woman of my life. I was in shock. He was apologizing, crying, and he blamed it on that he had too much to drink, telling me I've never hit a girl before. I've never done that to a a female. But he's crying and apologizing and he's blaming it on the booze. Now listen, alcohol can definitely heighten the emotions, but alcohol does not make people violent. And I'm not gonna say men violent because there are women who get violent too. Here's the reality. Alcohol makes existing abuse or existing tendencies to abuse worse. Sure. It doesn't all of a sudden make you have the ability to hit a woman. If it's in your bones to hit a woman and to hit another person, alcohol can heighten that. But no, you're dangerous. Alcohol just brought it out. Absolutely. It lowered your inhibitions. You're thinking, oh, well, I'm drunk. I don't care. I'm going to go for this. You know, this episode was hard for me because I cannot imagine laying your hands on your partner, on someone that you love. Why? You want to see someone that you say you love in pain? Yeah. I don't understand it. He turns on the fucking waterworks. Break me off a piece of that fucking Kit Kat bar. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. And so he's like, I mean, he he gets released from jail. He's, I'm so sorry. And Evie is not stupid. And even early on in this episode, Best Friend Dynasty says, Evie knows her worth, Mm -hmm. right? So she's thinking, I'm going to get through this trip. Because we're stuck here. And then when I get back to New York, I'm going to break up with him. Yeah. But she doesn't. And then, sadly, Evie says this. I was too soft. Baby girl, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. But she's on guard. She lets him stay at the apartment. But she's not physically 
into it. The brain and the vagina are connected. Absolutely. If I'm mad at you, if I'm feeling something, she's not waking up. And that made him even more mad that she wouldn't be intimate with him. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that he kept saying part of the reason she took him back was, let me make it up to you. And he was making all of these gestures to show her, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I had a moment of weakness. Fast forward to her saying, I don't want to have sex with you. And he is aggressive. Like, to the point is she's like, is he going to assault me until I don't know what transpired, but he backed off. But in that moment, she knew this man is never going to change. So she finally kicks him out of the apartment and she takes all his stuff and got it out. It's done. And she's being nice, but firm. So she arranges for him one day to finally get like the last of the stuff out. She's like, here, take my keys. I don't want to be there, which is a great thing to do. I don't yep. want to be there. You get your stuff out. You tell me when you're done so that they don't have to even cross paths. And he calls her and says, okay, I got all my stuff. I left the key on the table by the door, but you should get back home because the door is unlocked and you need to lock it. I mean, this is New York City. Yeah. And she says, okay. So she's thinking everything is civil. That's what I've been trying to do. Keep things civil. I go upstairs and like every, I just flipped. I completely, like I blew, like I was just crying. He broke both of my plasma TV. He broke my laptop. There was ornaments all over the place. I didn't think he was capable of doing something like that. I was feeling really unsafe. She gets into her apartment, and he has destroyed her apartment. He broke TVs. He broke her laptop. This is a 21-year-old student living in New York City trying to make it, and she needs her laptop. Destroyed ornaments, had shit thrown all over the place, and she is like, you must be joking. Yeah. Just such a violation of your space, too. He just, like, trashed the place. He's like, I'm gonna break this TV like you broke my ego, little lady. Great. So, she calls the police, and they agree that if he replaces everything, she won't press charges. I was like, it's not about the stuff. It's about the violent act. You're not in a position to negotiate that. You are in a position to get my foot up your ass, you old buzzard. What? Okay, well, if she doesn't press charges, I'll replace it. No, motherfucker, you're going to replace all my stuff. She just wants to be done. Mm -hmm. And this dude has the nerve to keep calling Evie over the holidays. I'm sorry, that wasn't me. That's not who I am. No, that is exactly who you are. You have proven more than once you are exactly this man. A small, petty, tiny, and violent piece of shit that desperately needs therapy. Yeah. And now, thank goodness, I mean, this was back in 2009, we got a friendly little button called the block button. Yep. I encourage everybody who is in an abusive relationship of any kind to enjoy it very freely. Block, no contact. Block, no contact. Obviously, that was not a thing back then. So she's like fielding all of his annoying and aggressive calls. And she's standing her ground, poor thing, which is scary. It is scary to stand your ground. It absolutely is. Not just that. He started doing all kinds of really insane things like vandalizing Dynasty's car so that if he thought they were going to go out that night, they couldn't go out. He would slash the tires. He broke headlights. Like, my guy, go get help. So it's New Year's Eve and it's 2010 and Ramon calls her. 
And obviously, like, she can't give him any bit of information because he can't be trusted. If they're like, you know, we're going to go watch the ball drop, I'm sure he'd, like, find her somewhere in Times Square, which also don't go watch the ball drop. People are in diapers out there. Like, everybody you see has not peed for hours, so you do the math. But I think we've talked about that before. But she was like, nope, just staying home, just having a quiet night in, not going anywhere. He's like, huh, weird. Why are your lights off then? (sighs) You forget. He works across the street. And so he's stalking her. He is fully stalking her. And she's like, I went out, but I was so freaked out. I didn't have a single drink in case he somehow figured out where I was and showed up. And so a few hours later, she heads home. And guess who's waiting for her? Mm -hmm. Ramon. When she comes home a few hours later, he is outside waiting. I panicked. I told the girls, I'm like, I cannot believe this. Like, it, it, he, he's going crazy. That's him, that's him. Just go, just go, don't stop. And she's in that cab, and she was like, go. Keep yep, driving. Let's go. And she drives to her friend's house. She's fucking terrified. She does not know what he is capable of. Like, And yeah. she's not going to test it. You know what I mean? No, I don't blame her. Nobody deserves to live in fear. I've said this a million times. And so the next morning, she's got to go home and get ready for work. But she can't get into her apartment because Ramon put crazy glue in her keyhole. What? She is locked out. And that's when it dawns on her. That guy was probably waiting for me. And I was going to try to get into my apartment, wouldn't be able to. And he was going to assault me, if not kill me. That is so scary. Horrifying. Yeah. On January 9th, 2010, she goes to work at the drugstore. An uneventful day until her co-worker, Demetrius Johnson, clocks out to head home. I see Ramon in his car, sitting there. I was a little concerned. Like, they're broken up. He shouldn't, you know, be outside waiting for her. So it's January 9th, 2010, and Evie heads to work. And her co-worker, Demetrius, is leaving and sees Ramon's car. Evie is a lucky woman. She has down bitches all around her. Because not only is Dynasty a down bitch, so is down bitch Demetrius. Because he was like, hey, I see Ramon outside. What do you want to do? How do you want to play this? And she was like, honestly, can you just wait until my shift is over so we can walk to the train together? He's like, absolutely. Fucking down bitch. I mean, oh, I, I got chills with, I know. with him. So just before midnight, they leave together. They don't see Ramon anywhere. So Evie is, you know, okay, somewhat relieved. They walk two blocks and Ramon shows up out of nowhere and he is running toward her. But not only is he running toward her, he's got a gun in his hand. And then bam, bam, two shots go out and Evie drops to the ground. Now, Demetrius just flies instinctually over to Ramon to protect Evie. He's, Punching him. Yeah, he's in a blind rate. If I can't have you, no one will have you, right. right? So then Ramon steps back and goes to fire the gun again. And it jams. All they hear is a click. And then someone is bleeding. They don't know. I mean, it's just who knows whose blood it is. Well, Ramon takes off running and they realize it's Evie who was bleeding. It turns out that one of the bullets went through her arm and the other one grazed her finger but got caught in her head. And thank God a few blocks away, Ramon is caught and arrested. But Evie is rushed immediately into surgery. And basically, she goes into surgery for four hours. And Demetrius quite literally saved her life. 
literally. He is an actual earth angel. And if he wasn't there, and Evie says this, there is probably no chance that she would be here in this interview right now. It's true. And that man was so sweet. He's like, I wasn't even meaning to protect her. It's just what happened. Yeah. I just saw him, got scared. And, and Evie's like, he could have gone running. Yeah. Oh, I got chills. I know. He could have. After two years of fighting attempted murder charges, in 2012, Ramon gets 15 years behind bars. That's when I felt like, I'm okay. I'm I'm good. I'm going to be okay. We got him. All of this is over. Well, in 2012, Ramon is sentenced to 15 years behind bars for attempted murder. Why only 15 years? The gun malfunctioned. Right. The, the man, gun didn't work. The intent was there. He meant to kill her. He had been stalking her. It was documented. Why is this man only getting 15 years. It is wild to me. And I found some things from his trial. And do you know what his lawyer said? His lawyer's defense was he was, quote, emotionally distraught and emotionally unstable. And he gave the police a full confession that night. And he was taking responsibility for his actions. Okay. Or was he positively identified by Demetrius? He was. I had no idea he was distraught. I, I didn't know. I think it's laughable because that was the best they could come up with. What are they going to say? Yeah, he meant to do it. No, yeah. I mean, that was the best they could come up with. Honestly, rotten jail. How awful. Well, we have another story here on this episode. That's right. And we are going to New Mexico. Worlds away from the Bronx and rural New Mexico, Michelle Sheltra is looking for the right man. In the summer of 2004... The 32-year-old mother of three young girls casually tests the waters of the dating scene. I was 27 when I got divorced from my kid's dad, and I'd been married and stayed home as a mother for quite a while. Oh, she had just divorced, and she was a stay-at-home mom for the first time, and she was ready to date again. She wanted to meet friends, and listen, I know I joke about the kids and how many kids you have and stuff, but... She got divorced at 27. She had three kids and like women can lose themselves in motherhood. You yeah, know, for it sure. was she was very sweet the way she was talking. You know, you kind of have a moment where like your identity is sort of wrapped up in the role of being a mom cuz motherhood's fucking all consuming, man. I mean, three I kids it. at 27. Do you know how many hours a week the average mom, quote, works in, like, caring for her family? How much? They say 98 hours. Wow. That's two and a half full-time jobs, you know? Yeah. Not to mention your body has stretched from making people. Well, that's why when people are like, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom, so you don't work. Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. And then, you know, we make people yeah. with our skin. Yep. And then you stay home with kids, like, you know, tugging at you. And then, anyway, she was just looking for a way to be herself again, find herself again. So she went out dancing with her friends to meet people. She sure did. And that's when she met 48-year-old Oscar Garcia. When Oscar walked up to me, he made me laugh, which is a very important thing for me. Charming and polite, Oscar is a professional landscaper. He's also divorced. The two share several dances, but part ways without sharing phone numbers. 
He approached Michelle and they struck up a conversation. He was funny and charming. He worked as a professional landscaper. And he was also divorced, so they had that in common. But they spent the night laughing and dancing. Well, yeah, they said they were dancing. And then in the parentheses, it says honky-tonk music plays. I am unclear as to what honky-tonk music is, but there's a lot of cowboy hats and cowboy boots. What's honky-tonk music? It's the boot scoot boogie. Boot scoot boogie. I actually love line dancing. My question is, how do you all know this choreography? Like, is there a YouTube tutorial? I mean, like, how did you memorize the boot, the scoot, and the boogie? That just, (laughs) that seems stressful to me, but they all know it, and it's so fun. A few weeks later, Michelle is again out with friends. He was there and came up to me and started a conversation with me. Oscar was very strong and independent in his personality. He was not shy. He had a lot of confidence, and I found that attractive. Weeks later, Michelle bumps into Oscar again, and they decide then and there, let's have dinner. We should go out for dinner and drinks. And Michelle's really digging Oscar. You know, she found him... Very attractive. They shared their first kiss. There is nothing better than a first kiss. Well, your vagina will let you know. Mm, it, it's true. If it's there, it goes straight to the vajazzle. Oh, for sure. And it, the, the vajazzle tells you. Well, same, immediately. Same with the ding dong. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a ding dong. I can only speak for the vajazz. As they talk, Michelle finds she's attracted. When you find somebody that you do have that connection with, um, you know it. When I kissed Oscar for the first time, it was a wave of emotion. When you find somebody that you have that connection with, you can feel it when you kiss them. Well, Michelle was smitten, and she was excited to get to know Oscar and, like, be romanced a little bit. And here's the other thing. Michelle lived in a small town. Again, like you said, she was a mother of three. In her mind, she's like, I'm uncertain of how many opportunities for love I'm going to have again in my life. So she was very excited about Oscar. Those are her words. Yeah. And he was a hard worker and he was a caretaker. And Michelle loved that. And I do think there is something to be said about someone who spends so much time taking care of others to be taken care of every once in a while. And Michelle's daughters are here, Ashley and Rachel. And it seems like Oscar became part of the family real, real quick. Yeah, I mean, he was taking them horseback riding and fishing. They, They were doing family activities. You know, that's what families do. What I want to know is, did they argue before church resulting in no one speaking to each other? Because that's what my family did. Is that a family activity? Is this this what we're doing today? We're trauma dumping? (laughs) Welcome to I Think Not, where we talk about our family trauma. How's everyone? Oscar was giving major head of household vibes. Like he was like, he offered support and love and that made Michelle feel safe. Two months into dating, he broke his foot falling off a horse. Yeah. And Michelle took care of him. She was like, you stay here. I'm going to take care of you. And it sort of aided in them falling in love with each other because they had a lot of time to talk. They talked about their their lives, their dreams, their past relationships, you know, aspirations, just life in general. It put their relationship on the fast track. Yeah. It's kind of like the pandemic, I feel like. Absolutely. Like people either really fell more in love or really, really went quick to www.divorce.com. That didn't happen for me. No. No, I was fine. (laughs) People are like (laughs) either loving their partners so much because they like next level or they're like, are your toes always going to be like that? Just like crooked (laughs) like that? Can you fix? Is there a surgery to fix your toes? Less than a year after meeting. Oscar pops the question. 
We were living together when Oscar proposed to me. It was the right thing that he wanted to have a family, he wanted me to have his last name, and that, you know, he really just wanted to marry me. I was in love with Oscar, and so the natural response was yes. And less than a year later, Oscar asks Michelle to marry him. And I will say this, any woman out there who has had to take care of a man, thank you. Because men are big babies. When they're sick, they feel an ounce of pain. And women, you have had to push human beings out of a hole between Did you hear me say we make people? Yeah, I know. I'm just saying, it's the miracle of birth. It's such an overused trope, but it's really fucking true. Oh, it It is is true. And you can ask any doctor, any doctor will always say that men like stitches, women just sit and just they're just fine. And they they will all tell you that men are the biggest babies. It's true. It's hilarious. And it's fine that we can say that because there's only like six dudes who listen to this podcast. So Hi, Joe and Billy. (laughs) (laughs) And Brandon. Hi, Brandon. (laughs) They were happy. Over the next year after they got married, they were very happy. But then all of a sudden there was a shift. Oscar became somewhat distant. He wasn't really talking to Michelle. He would come home after dark, eat dinner, and go to bed. Excuse me? I made dinner and you're going to eat this and just go straight to sleep? No, you absolutely are not going to do that. So around the holidays in December 2007, they went out dancing with some friends. And Oscar's phone was blowing up. And Michelle naturally was like, what's going on over there? It's after it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. What's, what's going on? Yeah, and it resulted in an argument. Because Michelle was really angry. I mean, listen, if you have nothing to hide, then just tell me. She says, look, I was yelling at him. And then Oscar hit her across the forehead, knocking her down. And Michelle was very terrified because Oscar was a very strong man. Mm -hmm. And she's scared. She files a police report and he agreed to leave. And he comes back apologizing. It's that cycle. Of course, they're always sorry. They're always very, very sorry. And it will never happen again. He was found guilty of assault. And he was given therapy for anger management. Okay. Yeah. I can have time and space for that. You know, I believe in second chances. If anyone ever hit me or hit you, God help them if they ever did that. I can't come back from that. Yeah. I I absolutely can't. But I want to say that I empathize with Michelle because when you have married someone, spent that much time with them, brought them into your home, they are now a father to your kids, and something like that happens You don't want to believe that that is the person you've been sleeping next to Mm -hmm. and that you're like, I don't know who you are. You don't want to believe that. of course not. You want to believe that maybe that was just a moment of weakness or they had a break, something. So I understand. I understand the reasons why someone may be perhaps. For me, that is a boundary Mm -hmm. for me. But I'm not Michelle. But I can empathize. Right. So Oscar came home and Michelle was a little nervous, but... You know, the nerves faded. Maybe it was like a fluke. He said he realized how wrong he was. He had indeed been neglecting her. So she was sort of right to be questioning. And slowly but surely, her guard came down. And she forgave him for hitting her. Yeah. He definitely said all of the right things. Mm -hmm. They usually do. It's the same script. Uh, Of course. They just change the words around a little bit. More than a year later, her daughter reveals there might be other reasons for concern. A friend of the family told me she was doing dishes in the kitchen and Oscar had came up behind her and he had touched her inappropriately. She was very upset. She was crying. She didn't want to tell my mother because she didn't want my mother to be upset. 
So a year later, Michelle's daughter, Ashley, and she's a good friend of the family. She's over there all the time. And she tells Ashley something happened. It was a very disturbing incident that happened while I was at your house, and I need you to know about it. Yeah, she says that a friend experienced something with Oscar. He touched her inappropriately, and she was scared to tell Michelle, this family member, so daughter Ashley told Michelle, I think not. I think fucking not. Yeah, Michelle was in shock. Yeah. She didn't want to believe that Oscar was capable of something like this, but she's also like, she wouldn't make this up. Mm-hmm. And Michelle confronts Oscar. And he's like, that's not what happened. I was trying to hug her. She misunderstood. Since when is grabbing someone's ass and trying to fondle their breasts considered a hug? Because if that does happen, and it has happened, where people are like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I did, you know, if someone elbows you or brushes against you or something like. It happened to me at Obsessed Fest. There's a picture of it. I was trying to hug a woman. Yeah. And then I accidentally grazed her breast and I literally apologized a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, and she exactly. laughed in my face, but still. <laughs> yeah, and so there's no misunderstanding. Like, break that down for me. Break down the misunderstanding from the miss to the under to the standing. Yep. Break it down for me. So Michelle is confused. What exactly happened? Because the description from the family friend is vague and Oscar's like, that didn't happen. Well, Michelle chooses to believe Oscar. And then we fast forward to October of 2009. Michelle is laid off from her job. There's a palpable distance once again between Michelle and Oscar. She doesn't know what to do. And she has also made the decision to never leave her daughters or her daughter's friends alone with Oscar again. I mean, I'm like, that's your answer. How do you live like that? You know, and she says two things that I have heard so many times. One of them is, I felt like I was in the relationship because I married him, because I didn't want to get divorced again, because other people, you know, thought that this should work out. So I think at this point, I'm just in the relationship because I think I should be. The thing that you have to realize is that, like, abuse destroys your self-esteem. So it makes it so scary to leave and start over again. That's usually the scariest thing. Right? Like, you know, I didn't want to get ditched again. And I just, I hear that so many times from women who message me on the podcast and friends. And it makes them feel like it's impossible to leave. Of course. Well... In February of 2010, Michelle is doing housework and she's watching a talk show and a man is speaking about child abuse. And he says children never, ever lie about being molested. They may lie about other things, not this. Mm -hmm. And those words stopped Michelle dead in her tracks. Yeah, that was sort of her aha moment. She's like, I need to get out. It's sort of like just being honest with yourself. I think she knew, you know, and she wants him to confess. I get that. Yeah. I really get that. Stubborn isn't the words, but I get it. She's so mad and she knows what she knows. I want to hear you say it. Yeah. You know, she invited this man into her life to be a father to her kids, to live in her home. Probably she feels guilty. Like, I didn't know this man. I got this wrong and she wants to make it right. But she wants to hear from his lips. You did this. I'm so stubborn that way. Oh, I mean, I I get it, but I feel like it would also give you closure. Yeah, yeah. So the next time her girls are out of town, she confronts Oscar. Did you do that? I know you did. And the weird thing is, he's not denying it, but he's not admitting. He's not saying a thing. That is infuriating. Absolutely. And she's like, I mean, I took his silence as an admission of guilt. 
And Michelle is yelling. She's like, I know what you did. You are guilty and you're not going to get away with this. And then she says, you're going to go to jail. And so Michelle turns around to go grab her phone and Oscar lunges at her. And I don't know where the knife came from, but he is fighting her with a knife and she is trying to fight him off. Yeah. Oh my God. I want to throw a microwave at his fucking head. I want to put this him man in the microwave and hit so... power. Yeah, exactly. I could feel him lunging towards me and I was trying desperately to hold back the knife and I'm screaming. He started stabbing my stomach. I screamed out my kids' names. I wanted that to be the last thing I said. I definitely felt that this was the end. So he starts stabbing Michelle in the stomach over and over. And she's fighting him. Yeah. She falls down and she lays still. She pretends to be dead. And she's in agony. Yeah. I mean, and this is after he caught her throat. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. In my mind, I was thinking she must have been thinking, I have to survive this for my kids. I don't want my kids to be without their mom. And she manages to lay there still and pretends to be dead. And she listens for 15 minutes while he's calling a family member saying, I don't have money. I have to get out of here. I've murdered my wife. I need money. You need to help me. Then... She hears something even more disturbing. I remember distinctly the sound of gasoline splashing out of the can. And he pours gasoline across my legs. I can feel it. I started panicking a little bit. All of a sudden, as she's laying there, I'm sure seeing her fucking life flash before her eyes, wondering what... This woman is so strong. What is the hardest substance? Is it granite? What is it? Diamond? I don't know. She's made of it. Yeah. She hears the sound of liquid, and then she smells the smell of gasoline. Yeah. Then she feels that liquid all over her legs, and she's like, fucking shit. He's about to torch the place. Yeah. Oscar lights a match sets the fire, and runs out of the house. Immediately, Michelle is rolling on the ground, trying to put out the flames, which she eventually does. But the house is on fire. She grabs the phone, calls 911, and we hear the phone call. What's your emergency? My husband's trying to kill me. He stabbed me. Where did he stab you at? Everywhere. Are you bleeding? No. Did he just stab you? Did he do anything else? He lit me on fire. He lit you on fire? (laughs) It's horrifying. She sounds so weak. And she tells the dispatcher, please help me. My husband is trying to murder me. And he has stabbed me with a knife. And she's like, wait, what? I mean, this dispatcher is in absolute disbelief. And I'm like, can you hurry this along and stop asking me stupid questions and get the police here? And then she says, He's trying to set me on fire. I just wrote in my nose, I just wrote the strength of Michelle. I that's mean, all, that's all. It's remarkable. The fact that she had the wherewithal to recognize all of these things. And I look for my iPhone with my iPhone flashlight some days. The fact that she was able to have so much state of mind to ask, I, 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 just, it's beyond me. So when the cops get there, when emergency services get there, the place is full of smoke. Yep, it is all fully on fire. They run in there and they are able to pull Michelle out of the flames. She had 15 stab wounds and severe burns on her body. 
She's rushed into surgery, and after five hours, Michelle wakes up. She's alive. I'm a wreck. She's alive. She's here. She looks great. This woman is amazing. She is an actual walking miracle. Yeah. I mean, so is Beyonce. (laughs) After five harrowing hours of surgery, Michelle wakes up. I didn't have any idea that I had gone through surgery. The only thing that I had when I was awake was terrifying fear. That's it. She didn't want to stay there in the hospital. She was scared that he was going to come back for her. There's good reason to worry. No one knows where Oscar is. She wakes up from the surgery, happy to be alive, but still scared out of her fucking mind. Of she course. woke up in terror because she's like, he's going to find me. He's going to find me here. She wants to leave the fucking hospital. It's like, babe, you were just stabbed and burned. You ain't going nowhere. No. We will lock these doors and keep you safe. Well, the thing that doesn't help is they cannot find Oscar. Yeah. And the man has disappeared. So... Thankfully, they put the hospital on lockdown and border control has been alerted to the situation because he was from Mexico and he had called a family member from Mexico. So border control knows to look out for him. And Oscar is gone for months. They don't know where he is. It's wild. Michelle endures both physical and emotional therapy and makes a full recovery. She now speaks across the country about the dangers of domestic violence. I'm still in the process. But way better today. There was no part of me that thought he was capable of doing this to me. None. She recovers. She makes a full fucking recovery. Wherever you are, Michelle, holy moly, you are a fucking down bitch. You have a full ride to DBU. I want to hug her and her daughters. Oh, my God. And she speaks out for domestic abuse. And this motherfucker, this fucking shit of a fly. Do flies shit? Uh, they eat shit. Yeah. Do they then shit? Do flies shit? I I really don't know. Okay. Well, if flies shit, he is that. Yes. <laughs> this piece of shit is running from the law for four years. Four years. I hope every time you bite into a morsel of food, it actually tastes like shit. I hope you never, ever Wake up to see a happy day ever. I don't give a fraction of a fuck who you think you are. You almost killed your fucking wife. He thought he did. Oh, he absolutely thought he did. He thought he did it. Here's the thing. This whole time, Michelle has somehow managed to find her peace. Mm -hmm. But she is relieved when they eventually find Oscar in Mexico City on April 25th, 2014. Not in the episode. He took a plea bargain Mm -hmm. and he was sentenced to seven years. Seven years. For attempted murder. I want someone, is anyone in a position that is listening to make attempted murder be charged as murder? Is anyone out there? He meant to kill her. She survived. Also, you couldn't keep him in there any longer, even with like arson charges. You know what I mean? Like, I I understand. It is Seven years. This man meant to kill her. He He told his family, I killed her. Yeah, I mean, Michelle made a full recovery, but it could have been so much worse for her. She's lucky. I mean, he could have fully disfigured her. The list goes on and on and on. Thank God she made a full recovery. Yeah, honestly. And listen, fast forward if you don't want a mini monologue. The thing about this show is talking about domestic abuse is we see it. Domestic abuse is a pattern. And I know that so many people are convinced that their partners will change. 
And I want to say that I'm trying not to make a sweeping statement. So I'm going to say 99.9%. No, they most certainly will not. But the thing is that an abusive person will do whatever it takes for however long it takes to convince you that they indeed have changed. And then they slowly, slowly earn your trust back and they allow you to let your walls down, let your guard down. Then you're right back to being terrified again. It's true. They are master manipulators. Yeah. And it's like abusers can mimic empathy. So easily. That's what they're like so good at themselves. And they can control themselves for a period of time to avoid consequences of their actions. But they never change. They will never change. So just remember, everybody, if you find yourself in any kind of domestic abuse situation, whether it be verbal, emotional or physical, there is help out there in over 200 languages. You can call 1-800-799-7233 or you can text START, the word START, to 8878. And Michelle and Evie were just lucky. They were. That they are a different statistic than the one that we don't even want to say. They are just lucky. They are just fucking lucky. It's a fluke. I am going to need something very, very funny from you right now. Really funny. So dig on deep in that gay treasure trove of funny wonders and say something funny. Well, (laughs) I'm going to do my best. Okay. I think that we should open up a gay bar. Okay. A gay country western bar. Yes. And we're going to call it Penis in a Haystack. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And we're going to write a country western song and create our own line dance. Okay. It's going to go go like this. Okay. Well, I went on down to the old gay bar, and I got right out of my car, and I saw a man with a big old butt. I said, ooh, Lord, tonight I'm be a slut. And then I (laughs) saddled up right next to him, and then I realized once again that I was going to fall in love, but by love I meant butt stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. When the butt stuff boogie, the butt stuff boogie, we all do it in the butt stuff boogie, butt stuff. I don't even want to know what that line dance looks like. Oh man, this was a hard one. We say that all the time. We have a hard job. We don't have a hard job. We have a great job. But these stories still need to be told. You know what I mean? I have to tell you, after watching this episode, I had to have a moment with myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. These are tough subjects. Listen, Joey sits and hears stories about domestic abuse, and then in solidarity, he wears woven blouses. What's up, bro? That's his (laughs) form of solidarity. Thank you so much for joining I Think Not. If you have not already, please follow us on social media. That is where we love to connect with our listeners on Instagram. Twitter, is Twitter still a thing? I don't know. And TikTok. And join our Facebook group. We're really just a big old family there. Are you going to give them our handle? I think not, Pod. (laughs) And then they can Google it. I'm just kidding. And then they're like, that podcast makes us do side research. (laughs) And you can also find Joey and I at It's Joey Taranto and Ellen Marsh on all social media. And you can also join our Facebook group. It is the I Think Not podcast Facebook discussion group. Did I do it? No, but keep going. And it's, we discuss. We discuss Facebook. Podcasts (laughs) and stuff. And if you're feeling fancy, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Say something nice about 
about us. Not you, Misty456. You're done. Yeah. You're, You're done. done. I mean, it just helps other people find our podcast, and it makes me feel good. Thank you for your love. We hope that you are enjoying I Dated a Psycho, and we'll be doing that for the rest of the month. Two more episodes, and we love you so much. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. We do love we you. We appreciate you. We appreciate your kind words, your DMs, your twits, and your twats, and you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> love you now, bitches. Love y'all. Love you, Joey. Love you, Ellen Marsh. Bye. Bye. Why are we doing Bronx Spirit? Why did this happen? Great skit. Where do you gamble? Mohegan? Or you, uh, Mohegan Sun? You go to Mohegan? Where do you go? You go to, you go to, you go to Connecticut? Yeah, you got to go out of the state. You can't do it in New York. You got to go somewhere. <laughs> do you know what a blouse is in the gay community? No. A feminine top. I did not know that. A blouse. What about like a seal or like an otter? Oh, there's no seals. An otter. An otter is a younger bear who has got some hair on them. But a bear is like, you know. A full-grown. Yeah. What about a mongoose? Is that a thing? Can That's we just you. make them that up? That is you. <laughs> what are you? I'm a muskrat. <laughs> you are a honey badger because you don't give a fuck. You know, I love you, <laughs> but you are scary. You're a scary woman. Scary. Help the Lord. Listen, don't be on the wrong side. That's the history. That's all I'm saying, you know? <laughs> What's Ella like? Oh, my God. So nice. Don't cross her. No. I went to a gay country western bar in Tampa, Florida when I was like 23, and it was all line dancing. Yeah, I went to one in Jacksonville. It was so fun. And I was like, by the time I learned it, the song was over. I was like, can we do it again? 